Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. All right, we're go- keep going here in this series on Luke, and uh, we're going to finish chapter 4 today. I'm going to start, I'm going to read you verses 40 to 44. Now, last week, we ended the message here on these first couple of verses. That's okay. We're going to pick up from there and keep going today. But uh, it says this, now, when the sun was setting, and and we saw this at the end of last week's message, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to to him, that's Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Okay, let's pray. And then uh, let's see what Jesus wants to speak to us in his word today. Jesus, you are Lord of this church. And I just want to lift up to you a couple of things. Next week is a church renewal weekend. We got many pastors and delegates coming here. I pray that your spirit would touch each one of them and give them hope. Give them hope in a calling that you have for them. Give them hope for their churches when they go back, that they won't feel overwhelmed, but that they will feel hope, that you will lead them, that they can hear your voice, and that you can do a mighty work in their churches as well. Help us as a church family to minister to them together with our joy and our service. Father, I pray for our prayer summits and our prayer gatherings. Lord, we're only doing these things because you have said that your church is to be a house of prayer. Would you make this church a house of prayer? Give us a spirit of joyful prayer and intercession and worship at our gatherings. And I thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do this year. I thank you for this word that you have for us this morning. And would you change our lives through it? In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to go back. Verses 40 and 42. I want to read you those two. I want to show you a little something here about Jesus today. And it says there in verse 40, as we talked about last week, now when the sun was setting and they're bringing, as the sun is setting, they're bringing crowds and crowds, lineups of people. And, uh, and then, it, like I said last week, he laid his hands on every one, okay? He didn't cheat. He didn't say, just do a mass healing. You know what, guys? I'm tired. You're all healed. No, no, no. He lays his hand, it says there, on every one of them and heals them, okay? And this is as the sun was setting. So he ministers all day. Then at night, crowds crowding in. And then he's touching every one of them and, and, and ministering to them. I mean, this must have been exhausting, all right? And I want you to notice then what happens next, verse 42, and when it was day, so, and when it was day, this means that he must have ministered all night long or at least most of the night. So as the sun was setting, crowds and crowds and crowds of people, and then it says, verse 42, and when it was day, so either all night or most of the night, he is laying his hands on people, he's casting out demons, he's healing, he's ministering to people. And so what would you do if you had ministered all night, okay? I know what I would do, collapse, Okay. Just straight out collapse, face down in the dirt, and try to catch some, sh- some, some shut-eye, right? You know, you know, wipe out on the couch. And that wouldn't be a sin. That would be a, a perfectly normal good thing to do, would be to sleep. And if Jesus had gone to sleep, that wouldn't have been a sin for him either, obviously. Okay, it's not a sin to go to sleep. But I want you to notice that after a night of exhausting ministry, Jesus does not kick up his feet on a couch and try to grab a little nap. Okay, what does it say that he does? And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. So what does that mean, he went into a desolate place? Okay, like he just went off by himself and kind of zoned out for a while, right? And uh, just get me away from people. Um, What you have to understand is that in the book of Luke, 
Whenever you see that word, those words, Jesus goes into a desolate place, it's a, code, it's a code word for he was going to pray. And we see this in the very next chapter, in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, very next chapter, it says this, but he, Jesus, would withdraw, and he would do this often. That's kind of the sense of the verb there. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Okay, really important. Now, I can show you this as well in the parallel account in Mark chapter 1, which is the same story, but just in Mark's gospel. Jesus has, has been ministering all night, and here's what it says in, in Mark uh, 135. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So, after Jesus ministers all night, and he, he, like, it's exhausting, you know, person by person, one by one, he's ministering, he's loving them, he's healing, he's casting out demons, he's delivering, all these things. At the end of this, he doesn't go to sleep, he goes to pray. Now, some of you are sitting and you're going, so, right? Like, What's the application for us? Of course he did that. You know, he's the, he's the son of God, right? Like, of course God wouldn't bother with sleeping. He would do the spiritual thing and, and pray, right? Like, he just hit his little God button, and he wasn't tired, and he would rather just pray. But the thing you have to understand is that's not how it was, okay? And maybe you're a new believer here. Maybe you're just new to this church, and there's something. Uh, I'm just really passionate about this uh, point, but Jesus didn't cheat, okay? Yes, he was fully God. When he spoke to demons, they had to obey. We saw that last week. They had to, okay? When he spoke to the wind and the waves, it went still. Absolutely no question. At no point did he lose any of his godness. He was absolutely fully God. But there's another piece we always have to, to remember and, and cherish and love about Jesus is that although he was absolutely fully God, when, he was, when God came down and was born it, as this baby Jesus, okay, he didn't cheat. He took on human flesh and he really did it. Okay? He wasn't clicking a, a God button so that he wouldn't be tired and he could go pray instead of sleep. Okay? He actually did it all out. And so we feel weak. We feel exhausted. We feel tired. Exact same things he felt. And I want to show you this in a couple of passages. It's so important that we as a church never forget this. Hebrews chapter 2 says this, uh, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood. By the way, isn't it neat that God calls us children? Like, we should never take that for granted. Uh, many of us actually take that for granted because you just grew up Christian or whatever, maybe. Um, just try, go try out another religion for a little while and then come back and find out that actually uh, most of the made-up gods out there don't call their kids, don't call human beings children, okay? But the real God of the universe doesn't have to call us children, and he calls us children. And it says there, that even though the children, therefore the children share in flesh and blood, look at this, he himself likewise partook of the same things. So we experience weakness and suffering and tiredness and exhaustion and hunger. And when he took on human flesh, he didn't cheat. He partook of the exact same things. Really important. That through death, he even partook of death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now look at verse 13, 17. Sorry. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Now, this is even crazier. So first, he calls us God's children. Now he calls us Jesus' brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing that Jesus, it almost seems disrespectful, but there it is in the word of God, that Jesus is, our, is like a brother for us. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So we're weak, he had to be weak. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. This is absolutely critical for us to remember whenever we go to prayer. 
is so often we have this idea of Jesus and perhaps because of an earthly father or experiences we've had or whatever it is, we have this picture of as we go to prayer that God is very stern with us. He's very upset with our weaknesses. He's very tired of us failing all the time. But what you have to see here from these passages is Jesus sympathizes with us. When you go to Jesus in prayer, he sympathizes with you. He never sinned. So he never caved into sin, but he knows what it's like to feel. So when you go to him and you caved in again and you're just feeling so weak, he doesn't get mad at you. He looks at you and he says, I know what it's like to feel that way, to feel weak, to feel hungry, to feel tested and tempted. I know what that feels like. That's his attitude towards us when we pray. We see this just two chapters later in Hebrews chapter four. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Isn't that amazing that God would actually partake of the same things we partake of so he could sympathize with us, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. I love that about him. Let us then with confidence, we can have confidence when we go to prayer, all of us, we can have confidence because he is sympathetic. Confidence comes from his sympathy, right? We can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now let's bring this back to Luke chapter 4. So after a night of ministry, a day and a night of ministry, Jesus really was exhausted. He would have been worn out, just like any of us would be if we had ministered all night, person to person to person, to crowds of people after being up already all day doing ministry. He would have been exhausted. He would have been worn out. He would have been utterly, absolutely dead tired, okay? So the question is, then how... And why, after being so exhausted and tired, when many of us would just collapse and sleep, and it wouldn't be wrong to sleep at that point. It's not that it's wrong to go to sleep. But how would he, how would he in his exhaustion in his human body be able to choose prayer instead of sleep in that moment? And, and the thing we have to understand is Jesus had a power source, a motivation available to him that many of us never tap into. And this is where I want to spend the rest of this message. See... Um, many of us as Christians have this idea that if we're feeling exhausted or blah or discouraged or down, what we need is more time off and more pleasure and more self-care, okay? Now, let me just, let's just take a little rabbit trail because before you think I'm coming against those things, I want you to know right now, rest is absolutely essential. Rest and pleasure and taking time off is absolutely essential as part of your walking with God. He's the one who invented Sabbath. In fact, part of the reason I think we're so messed up in our culture, in our Christian culture, is because we don't know how to do Sabbath. That's a whole other message that I'll get to at some point. But when God created the earth, six days he worked, and then on the seventh day he rested. We don't really ever rest. We just, we don't have a day that we just, you know, set aside to truly rest. We have a, a day set aside to do more housework and other things like that, but we don't know how to rest. So I really believe, I absolutely believe in a biblical call to Sabbath, a weekly rest and a daily quieting and rest. Many of us terrible at both of those things. So I absolutely believe that rest is important. I absolutely believe in things like family vacations, and I prove it to you by going away every summer with my kids and, and, and with little ones. So I'm not against vacations. I'm not against rest, okay? But here's the thing is that our culture has had us buy into the lie that always the answer is more rest. That when I'm exhausted, when I'm tired, when I'm feeling burned out, what I need is more entertainment. I need more pleasure. I need more me time, and that's how I'm going to recharge. And the fact of the matter is, it isn't true. Yes, rest is important as part of the cycle of life. You need daily rest. You need weekly rest. You need, you know, 
you know, regular rest throughout the year and vacations, all sorts of things. But rest is not a reason to live, something to live for. And our culture has more rest and more entertainment and more pleasure than ever before. And we got more stressed out and burned out people than ever before. So rest is not something that by itself recharges you. It's an important part of a balanced life walking with Jesus. But it isn't something in and of itself to motivate you to live. And so you can take rest after rest after rest. And for some people, they're just so stressed out that it's like they need a vacation every single week. And it actually just ends up being an empty life. So what was motivating Jesus? What was Jesus' power source, aside from, obviously, the Holy Spirit? What was the motivating factors and forces in his life? Well, I'm, we're going to jump between John and Luke today just a little bit. And I'm going to go to John 4. And famous story, the Samaritan woman at the well. Okay, famous story, uh, Samaritan woman at the well. And here's, here's the background. Jesus and his disciples are ministering, 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 ministering. They're busy. And now they're traveling to Jerusalem. It's a long walk. They don't have cars, obviously. They've been walking all day. They're exhausted. They're tired from ministry, physically from walking. They come to this Samaritan town. They sit down at this well, exhausted, okay? And then the disciples go into town to get something to eat. Now, these are things that when I, wherever I read the Bible, I'm always asking myself, like, where did they go to get something to eat, right? Does anybody ever think that? Like, they didn't have a superstore, right? Were they kind of picking the extras out of people's gardens? Were they uh, begging? I'm sure they weren't doing that, but, you know, where did they go to get stuff to eat? Well, they went somewhere. They go into town to get something to eat, and they leave Jesus sitting at this well, Okay? And when they come back, here's Jesus. He, they've been doing ministry. They've been on a long walk. When they come back, he's doing ministry again. Like, what is with you, Jesus, right? So let's pick up the dialogue here, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, and I just, I just love, he, he would give these cryptic answers, right? I have food to eat that you do not know about, right? And now I love these guys. Don't you love these guys? And so now they're whispering to each other. Did you bring him something? Okay. Did he turn one of those rocks over there into bread? Like, how, how did he eat, right? So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat, right? I have food to eat that you do not know about. Where, where did he get it? What I love is they're embarrassed to ask him, right? Like, they don't just ask him. They, they don't want to look, they don't want to look dumb. Verse 34, and then Jesus explains to them. He's like, come over here, guys. Jesus said to them, my food, now this is profound, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, okay? Jesus says, my food. You want to know what my fuel is? You want to know what brings satisfaction and joy to my heart? Is to do God's will and to do God's work. That's what satisfies me. See, so many, so many Christians in our culture right now, we're looking for satisfaction. We're looking for joy. We're looking for f- fulfillment. And we keep going on trips. And we keep buying stuff and more movies and more time to ourselves. We're looking for something to fill. And Jesus says, my filling doesn't come from having a, a, a trip or going for a rest, even though those are important things as part of a, of a cycle, absolutely. But that's not what fills me. My food, he says. It's actually, there's a fulfillment. There's an energizing. There's something I get out of doing God's will and doing God's work. Now, again, I know the automatic subconscious reaction within us. Well, of course he would say that. Like, we don't want to enter into that because he, of course he said that. He's Jesus, right? The Son of God uh, you know, he came down to earth, and of course, he would give all the God answers. He would pray instead of sleep. He would do God's will, and of course, he's the son of God. He would want to do God's will, and that would be very satisfying for him. But what I love is what Jesus does next is he draws the disciples in. He doesn't leave it at just, it's my food. He doesn't just leave it at, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He now, in a very next sentence, draws all the disciples in, okay? So let's, let's look at this next verse here, verse 35. He says, do not say... 
There are yet four months. Or do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps. So now he's drawing in everyone else. It's not just him. He says, my food is through the will of God and to do his work. But now he says, now look at the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Now, that is very interesting. There, You look at that, that phrase, they're receiving wages. How many of you knew that those who join Jesus in the harvest receive wages? Now, what kind of wages would he be talking about? So first he starts this conversation out, uh, my food is to do the will. Okay, so he gets a satisfaction, a fulfillment, now he says that if you join me, there's wages for you too. What, now, what are those wages? Now, obviously, they are not, uh, it's, he's not talking about money. I mean, Jesus and the disciples didn't make money doing ministry. It's not like every time you do something for God, he's going to dump money on you from heaven. He's not talking about money wages. So what kind of wages is he talking about? Well, uh, first of all, I mean, we all would know, obviously, eternal wages, right? Like, all, there's, I mean, sure enough, if you do work for God, we all know that in heaven there's going to be reward, and that's amazing enough, and we should be excited about that. That's awesome, that if you work for Jesus and you serve him, there is reward being stored up for you in heaven. That is awesome. But what I really love, and the guys have underlined it there already, verse 36, is Jesus isn't actually talking here primarily about eternal wages. Look what he says here. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages. Now, that's interesting. It's not just that when you do work for God, when you go into his fields and when you do ministry, that there is reward waiting for you in heaven, although there is, and that's the greatest reward. Like, that's going to be amazing. But Jesus says there's already, already right now, already the one who reaps is receiving wages. So my question is, what are the wages? Jesus said, my food is through will him who sent me. And if you join me, there are wages for you too. So what are God's wages in the now? Not just the eternal ones, which are so amazing we can look forward to, but if I serve God now and minister to people and sacrifice some of my own personal time and some of my own personal pleasures in order to serve him in the, in, in the fields of his kingdom, what are the wages I receive already now? Well, if we go to the end of the, of the, uh, of the passage there, we see a sower, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. Now those two things go hand in hand. Uh, the first wages that God pays already now to those who join him in the fields are joy and togetherness. They rejoice together. Joy and togetherness, okay? And uh, there is a depth of joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment in the Christian life that can only come from serving and working and ministering in the fields. And our culture, again, and the reason I have to say this again, I know that's cliche, but I just, have to, I just have to take a second and I have to stay here again because our culture lies to us all the time. Seven days a week, there's a constant message that comes in that the way to be happy is more time to yourself. And again, I'm not coming against rest. That's a whole other message. I'm going to do a message yet that includes rest. And I believe in rest and I don't think we do rest well. But our culture lies to us and says the way to be happy is to live for rest. Live for leisure, watch another movie, and it's fine to watch a movie, but that's what we're seeking our joy and satisfaction from. And it says, this is how you get joy. Make a bit more money, go on more trips, have nicer stuff, enjoy more movies and stuff, and then you're going to be happier. And in the end, it's a lie. In the moment, sure, it feels good. Watching a movie feels good. 
And, and we should do that from time to time, no question. And buying this or that feels good and going on a trip feels good. But in the end, you always need more. And you live that long enough in your life and you will find it's absolutely, utterly empty on its own. As part of a life lived for God, great. But on its own to fulfill you, it's absolutely empty. And what Jesus is saying, there is a joy and it's counterintuitive because you actually have to do something that makes, at first, feels harder. We think easier life means happier life. And Jesus says, actually, a harder life when you choose to serve, when the harder comes because I want to serve and I want to minister, I want to be in Jesus' fields, in the end, you will tap into rivers of joy and fulfillment where Jesus said, my food, it actually is like food. It's satisfying to the soul to work with Jesus in the fields. And with that joy is this togetherness. It's not an on its own joy. But as you join him and the sowers and the reapers are in the field together, there is a togetherness that comes that contributes to this joy that you can only experience in the body. You can't experience it just by coming to church and listening to messages. So lots of Christians, there's all these promises for joy in the scriptures, and lots of Christians come to church all their life, and they never tap into the joy. Why am I not getting to the joy? The joy doesn't come from just sitting and hearing the joy comes from entering in. How do you experience the body? You're not experiencing the body just when you sit and learn. You experience the body when you enter the fields together with other workers. And I just think of like, you know, I, I think of the disciples and, you know, the, the bonds of friendship they must have had by the end of their lives. Like, you ever think about that? The years they spent living together, traveling together, going through stuff together, ministering together. Can you imagine the bonds they must have enjoyed together by the end of that, like the memories they're going to have in heaven for all of eternity. Did you know it's actually those kinds of relationships to belong to a group like that, where you fit, where you have memories, where you've gone into battle together, where you've taken things on together and prayed together. Do you know those kinds of relationships are so satisfying and so few Christians actually have many of them. And we wonder why we're not happy. I, want, I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta have another break. We're not happy, why? You were made for relationship. Think of, the, think of the joy those disciples must have known together, to be together like that and to do so many things together. I, I mean, an example I've, I've used before and I'll continue using, I, th I just think it's so good, but I often think of my wife, Ladon, and, and you, many years ago, earlier in our, in our marriage, uh, one of her prayer requests, out of many, I mean, this wasn't the only thing, but one of the things she, she would pray is, and it's such a good prayer request, is, Lord, I want good friends. I want, uh, you know, a healthy group of good friends around me. And this is something she was praying. And it's funny how when God answers prayers, and there's always, he's always doing multiple things at once. And how many of you have ever noticed that when you ask God certain things, and then he starts to answer, and at first, that doesn't look like an answer. That looks totally unrelated. In fact, you're adding stress to my life. Has any of you ever noticed that before? And it, sometimes it takes a few years, and then you look back and you go, he was answering my prayers all along. And one of the things, you know, I, I think it's about nine years ago now, and she gets this idea uh, from God, you know, start this ministry ministering to moms. There's such a need for moms. And, and, and so she starts this ministry, Selah. And of course, the thing has grown, and, you, and you, many of you know the story, and it's gotten really big, and it's been big for years already, and it's a lot of work. Now, that's not easier. Starting a ministry, having it grow really big, and having four little kids at home, while you do this, mostly volunteer. Now she does it a little part-time, but for many of those years, just totally volunteer. That is not easy, okay? If easy means happy, following God won't make you happy. 
So yes, is there sometimes stress? Is it sometimes hard? Are there sleepless nights? Are there long days sometimes? Absolutely, yes. But you know the amazing thing is after nine years, I mean, we just had a bunch of ladies at our, at our home again last night while I was here preaching, and she was ministering to a bunch of leaders and different things like that. She has such an incredible group of friends now. Like, just an incredible group of friends. And they're not just a group of friends. I mean, not that this is bad. I'm not criticizing anybody. But it's not just, you know, friends that you go shopping with or you do various things like that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, ladies, okay? I'm not opposed to that, okay? Um, I'm not going to say anything more on that topic so I don't get in trouble like I did last night. But, um, um, but people that you've been through stuff together with, you've prayed through stuff, you've tackled challenges together, you've gone through stuff together, and you've seen God work in each other's lives and through you, there's a bond that comes to that that you can't get by just sitting at church. You just can't. And at the end of it, was it easier or harder? Well, a lot of it was harder, but at the end of it, you would never trade it in because you're fuller. It's like a fullness. It's not just an easy happiness that comes and goes. It's a fullness. Your life has more fullness. There's relationships. There's experiences. There's this adventure. And Jesus says, the workers are already receiving their wages. Sower and reaper rejoice together. That's what God made us for. And at the end of your life, what do you want to look back on? Do you want to look back and see, I lived in as easy a life as I possibly could. How unsatisfying will that be a way to end your life? Or do you want to look back and say, I had one life to live and I went for it. And sometimes I got scuffed up a bit and sometimes I got bruised and sometimes I was exhausted. But look at the relationships, look at the people impacted, look at the people around me as I go towards my funeral, right? Or whatever it is. But at the end of your life, to know that you lived a satisfying life, Jesus says the workers are already receiving their wages. But this brings up a third thing. I think of a month ago, you know, Pastor Ray on Transition Weekend putting up a, a picture of our family and you see, you know, three generations of people and serving the Lord and stuff. And I know it doesn't always work out that way. I know that. And you can, you can you know, parent as, as, as perfectly and as good as you possibly can and, and children can still make choices and go away from the Lord. I know that. But I'm going to tell you something. There is a huge difference between kids who grew up in a family where mom and dad just go to church and kids who grew up in a family where mom and dad live their whole lives to serve Jesus. It's actually a huge difference. And one of the wages, and, and it's a huge difference in terms of how it impacts their hearts and the choices they make later on. It's a huge difference in terms of the, of the, the chances that they're going to follow Jesus later in their life. I'll tell you another one of the wages that Jesus is already paying. Now, those who go into the harvest, one of the things is they pass on a legacy. They pass on a legacy. The ones who are not out in the, in the harvest fields ministering, there's no legacy to be passed on. But those who go out in the harvest and they take some risks and yeah, they sacrifice some time and maybe they have less time to watch movies and less time to do some of those things. And I know there's a place for those things and rest is wonderful and having a break and all sorts of things. But they might have less time for some of those things because they've chosen a little bit of a harder life but in the end it's more satisfying. There's joy, there's togetherness and there's a legacy to be passed on, amen? amen. And then there's a fourth thing. I want to just highlight one fourth thing because this is just one... Um, that I have personally found over the years that LaDonna and I have talked about many times. But one of the things a lot of people don't realize is when you go out into God's fields, usually when we go into God's fields, we go out into God's fields because we have a passion to help other people. But I think Jesus often is laughing to himself because he knows when you go out to minister to other people, it's you who changes the most. That's actually true. I wonder how many of you have found that to be true. We have found that to be true. LaDonna and I have often talked about it. One of the reasons why our entire married life, we have always led cell groups and been involved one of the reasons we always lead cell groups and stuff like that is because we know that whoever leads a group changes the most. Because, and I'll tell you why, because there's that burden of, of leadership, there's that burden of responsibility, and every week I got to have something prepped. 
And I got to actually apply my own homework lessons that I give the cell. And I got, if I want them doing their devotions, I got to be doing my devotions. There's this like positive pressure, a good positive pressure. And sometimes it doesn't feel good. And sometimes you just wish, I just wish I wasn't leading this thing. And God laughs because the reapers and sowers are already receiving their wages and you'll have your grouchy days and that's fine. Just don't quit. Because, the, because in the end, you're the one changing and you went there and you'll know the joy of touching people, ministering to people and you'll see them changing. There's tremendous joy in that. But in the end, you will always change more because you'll prep those lessons and then you'll go in to teach them. And the thing is, it's the same way why I, you know, when, when I preach here at church, I'm, I'm preaching myself into these truths with you. And I'm, you know, I'm up here preaching stuff that I have not mastered yet. And I say to the Lord, help me preach my, I got to preach myself into living this one too. And when you have to teach it and when you have to do it to others, it applies to you more. I, like several years ago, uh, I don't know exact number now, two, three years ago, somewhere in there, Ladon has, you know, always looking up stuff and we've always been into, you know, parenting stuff and trying to grow in that. And she found some great material. And, and so we went through it and it was just awesome. And it's great parenting material. So what are we going to do with this? Now, how many of you have ever read a book and it was really good and you just loved it and then it didn't change your life? Three months later, you forgot about it. Have you ever done that? I've done that so many times. None of you guys have done that. Okay. <laughs> you guys are awesome. You just read a book, you apply, you read the Bible, you're holy. This is amazing. Man. So I've done that lots. You read a book and wow, impacting book. Six months later, couldn't tell you. Oh yeah, I read a book about that one time. It really motivated me. It didn't change me. So we're talking about it and we're like, how? So here's this awesome material. How are we going to live this? Like, how are we going to get it into us? Well, and it just was a natural outflowing, just some of the things we've talked about and done over the years and lived, experienced. The most natural thing was we got to start a cell group. We'll just start a cell group and minister to parents because in doing that, yeah, we'll know the joy of seeing some other parents grow. But in the end, we're the ones who are going to have to grow because every week we have to get ready for cell and prep these, these homework sheets and prep the teaching and the discussion. And in doing that, it's going to hold us accountable and we're going to get it. So that's what we did. Last year, we started this parenting cell and we knew the joy. We saw parents really growing in some of this stuff. That was a lot of fun. But the most fun was we were having to have these discussions and prepping cell every week and we were the ones that changed most by far. And at the end of the year, we said, well, you know, we still haven't mastered this stuff, so we're just doing it again. We're just doing the exact same material again, just started fresh, got a whole bunch of new people, and we're doing it again because we know, again, there's this joy of doing it together and seeing others grow, but the greatest joy is knowing that we are changing. Jesus says, those who go out into the, into the fields are already receiving their wages. Joy, togetherness, to experience body life that you can't experience just sitting there in a service. Legacy to pass on to your kids someday and personal growth yourself. These are actually amazing wages. And of course, Jesus isn't even limited to these. There's so many blessings that come from being in his field. But Jesus says, my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So when Jesus said the workers receive their wages, he wasn't lying. But if we go back to Luke 4 now, of course, we know that if all you do is serve, 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 serve you're going to burn out. So what goes with that service to bring a dynamic of a joyful Christian life? Well, if we go back to Luke 4, we're back to this prayer thing, right? He ministers all night. And then what does he do when day comes? And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. Okay, this is really important. Yes, someone who doesn't go into the fields and work in the harvest is just living a worldly life. Ultimately, will be empty. The other extreme is someone who does ministry, 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 maybe out of a sense of duty, maybe out of a good sense of I want to help, there's a need I see and I want to help it, and they say just do ministry, 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 
but they don't have fellowship with the Lord, they don't have a prayer life to go with that, is going to burn out and dry out and they will also be joyless. The worldly life is ultimately empty and the ministry-only life is ultimately hard and joyless. You said, but Jesus said it would be joyful. Yes, when ministry is married to fellowship, when you're not just going out into the fields to work on your own, but when you're going out with Jesus, that is joyful. Joy is when ministry and fellowship, where ministry flows out of your fellowship with the Lord and in fellowship you minister for him, you have now tapped into a river of joy. I'm, I'm telling you things that if you've been a Christian, a Christian for any number of years, you've heard some of these things before. And yet the way we live, it's like it's brand new. I'm actually giving you the secret to a joyful life. It's a life that has these two dynamics in tension constantly. I serve the Lord and I walk with the Lord. I walk with the Lord, I serve the Lord. See, you weren't saved to sit. There are so many promises of joy in here, it's unbelievable. But many of us don't live with joy. How come? You weren't saved to sit. You were saved to be sent. You were saved, and now there's this dynamic in the Christian life. I receive love and grace from Jesus, and then I must give it to others. And if I don't, it somehow goes dormant. It almost dies inside of me. I receive love and grace from Jesus, now I give it to others. There's a joy in that, and I give it to others, and then I receive. And then I give it to others, and I receive. And it's this dual dynamic that fills you with joy. Let me show you this. We'll jump back into John for just a moment. John chapter 15, Jesus says this, Abide in me, and I in you. Abide in me, and I in you. I just want to say here, first off, this is to every follower of Jesus. This is not just for spiritual people. This is not just for preachers. This is not just for prayer partners. You might be here today and you might just feel so unspiritual. The way you, you, know, you work with your hands or you do whatever and you just feel like an unspiritual person. You don't really have a devotional life. You don't know how to have a devotional life. You've never seen it modeled to you. And you just think there's certain people in the church that are spiritual and there's certain people that are not. I want you to see this. That Jesus, this is Jesus' call to every human being on planet Earth, not to spiritual people. He says, abide in me and I in you. This is the first step to have joy in your life. Abide in me and I in you. Now look at what happens next though. It's not just abiding. There's this receiving and going component. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So with the abiding, then there's this going and bearing fruit. It's not just sit in me. See, another extreme would be, so you've got the one extreme, which is a Christian who doesn't go into the fields and they just live for themselves and they go to church every week and they believe right things, but it's just ultimately an empty life. Then you have people who, who just do minister, minister, minister out of some kind of sense of duty or whatever and it's dry and joyless. And then you have people that only just pray but they never go, they never serve. And eventually it becomes this kind of, it can become this kind of self-centered, petty kind of religion. But these things go together. Jesus says, abide in me, and now you're going to go and bear fruit. This is how it works. You abide in me, there's relationship. You you love me, you spend time with me, you worship me, you thank me. You're quieted with me, you're in my word, and we're speaking, I love you so much. And then you absolutely have to go out, and you have to give. You give money, and you give time, and you bless people, and you love people, and you serve in the church. That's just how it works. And of course, there's more to serving, I should say this, than just inside the church walls. Some of you have been called to serve out there in the marketplace and in the government, and that is also serving, right? It's not just here, but there's, there's a, an abiding and then a going. Bears fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. And I want you to notice that you can do nothing there. I think sometimes Christians, there's almost like this, 
in some of the Christian conferences of our day, and it's not bad, it's not sinful, it's not, it's not bad, but I think a lot of Christians, there's this hype, we've got to change the world. You go to a conference, you get hyped up, you've got to change the world. And let's look at these gigantic needs in the world, and let's go meet these needs, okay? I want to tell you something, it doesn't matter what size of need you try to meet, how big it is, how hyped up you got at a conference, we've got to change the world, uh, you will not be able to do anything apart from a close relationship with Jesus Christ. I actually think the Christian calling is much more simple and humble. If you read through the Gospels, you will not find Jesus preaching a message of change the world. Now, in the end, his disciples changed the world. But it wasn't a grand calling, go and do great things. You know what the, the calling? Yes, God will sometimes do great things through people, absolutely. But the Christian calling is not go out and do grand things. Go find some big need in the world and go fill it. No, no, it's actually simple and humble. Abide in me. I don't think the devil is actually that scared of Christians who are all hyped up on change the world. I think he's scared of Christians who are up early in the morning and they're communing with Jesus. And out of this simple, humble place, they now say, I have received and I'm going to go. And I'm going to serve in my workplace. And I'm going to serve my, I'm going to touch people. And yes, sometimes out of that, God is going to do grand things. But the calling isn't grand. The calling is simple and humble. Abide in me and then go bear fruit. Because apart from him, you can take on the biggest challenge in the world. And apart from Jesus, and you can have all these great intentions. And apart from me, he says, you can do zilch. Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. If there's no relationship, you're just working. Look at that. It just withers. It dries. It withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me, though. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. There's relationship, and then there's serving, and then there's much fruit. Isn't that what we all want? What kind of a satisfying life would that be? To abide in Jesus, then to go out and take risks, and be generous, and sacrifice, and serve, and do ministry, and to bear much fruit in your own personal life and in others. That's a satisfying life, and so prove to be my disciples. That's God's will for each and every one of you here today. This is not him to spiritual people. This is him to all of us. Now look at this, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I just told you, this message is actually all about your happiness. Any of you who wants to be happy here today, not a quick fix, but any of you who wants to truly be happy here today and at the end of your life, you want to have lived a satisfying life that you're so happy I went for it, this is the life. You make time every day for Jesus, and you make enough time to hear his voice, to quiet yourself, to worship him and thank him. And then out of that, you don't just live for yourself. And you serve, and you give, and you go to work, and you share Jesus, and you're generous with people. This is a fulfilling life, and it's what Jesus modeled for us. So let me read that passage to you one more time. Luke chapter 4, 40 and 42. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any were sick with the various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place to pray. And now I want you to notice one, one more thing. I'm going to read you one more line from this passage I haven't read yet. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important to abide in him. Because his view of ministry is not the same as ours. Look what happens after Jesus ministers all night and then goes to pray. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. He's finally popular. 
Most of the places he went, they wanted to kill him. He's finally popular. Now, what would you do if you found a ministry where people were getting saved and delivered and healed and everybody liked you? You know what I would do? I would stay right there. Must be God's will. We're setting up shop here. We're being successful. This is the place to be. But the reason we think that way is our ways are not God's ways. And this is why you can do all the ministry with all the good intentions you want in your life. And it can be so amazing. You can say, look at the need. Look what I'm doing. Incredible ministry. And if it's done out of a pl- not out of a place where you are every day with Jesus, just walking with him in humility, you might do the grandest things and it actually did not do anything for God. Because look what happens next. We see that Jesus wasn't supposed to stay there. He says this. But he said to them, because he had just been in prayer with the Father. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let me finish this message with this. God's ways are not our ways. God does not despise the small, and he is not impressed by big. God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. God does not despise the small, and he is not impressed by big. What he wants is a relationship with you, and then every day you go. You serve and you give, and you spread that love that you're receiving to others. So I want to give us now just a, just a moment to listen to the Holy Spirit and to say, Lord, what are you saying to each one of us here today? And guys, if you can put up that, that PowerPoint there, maybe you're here today and you're feeling a little burnt out. You've been serving. You're a conscientious per- person, and out of duty, you just serve and serve and serve and serve and serve, but you're not experiencing the joy, and you're just feeling burnt out. Maybe the Lord wants to speak to you. We're going to give him a moment. I want you actually just to close your eyes and I just want you to bow your heads. What is the Lord saying to you this morning? Is he calling you to set aside some time this this week, more extra time to spend with him and abide with him and be filled by him? Maybe you're here today and you're not feeling burnt out. Maybe you're feeling empty, purposeless and unfulfilled. What is the Lord saying to you this morning? Let him speak into your heart right now. Write it down if he brings something to mind. Is he inviting you to join him in the harvest? What's the next step you can take this week? Maybe you're here today and your heart is already full of joy and service to Jesus and you're close in fellowship with him. You know what? Ask him for creative ideas. As we sit here today, this morning, ask him for creative ideas. Some of you here today, you might be thinking, how am I going to serve God? My health is bad. I'm in the hospital all the time. God can use you in that hospital. You ever think of that? He might tell us, speak to some of you right now and say, I want you to go get a Timmy's gift card. Just buy it. Next time you're in the hospital, you're going to give it to the person in the room next to you and tell them Jesus loves you. Do you know how much joy those little acts of generosity ministry can bring to you and to them? There's all kinds of creative ideas Jesus wants to give you. But it's time for us not to just sit on the side. We've got to enter the fields with God. So Holy Spirit, we're listening. Our ears are listening to you right now. Some of us are feeling burned out. Some of us are feeling empty and purposeless and unfulfilled. Each one of us where we're at, Holy Spirit, would you encourage us? You're not condemning us. Would you give us creative ideas for ministry? Would you give us creative ideas for rest? Some of us need to pull back. We need to just spend some time with you this week. Some of us need to to push forward. Lord, this is the kind of church I dream of being a part of, a church where every person in the services on Saturday and Sunday is fully engaged with you during the week serving and ministering. Oh, Lord, the things we're going to see you do when that happens. Lord, we're looking forward to the prayer summit and ministering to all those churches next week, and we pray all these things in your name, Jesus. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.